Welcome to Thread Talks by Twinery. Well, thank you for joining us, Gihan, on our inaugural edition of our podcast series. We're going to talk about all things technology, innovation, and apparel. So thank you. And this is Gihan Phillips for everyone. And he is the head of commercialization at Twinery, the innovation arm of MAS. And, you know, Gihan joined MAS fresh off of completing his undergraduate in biochemistry. And he's been with MAS for 17 years. And over that 17 years, you've done many things. In, you've set up our branch in Indonesia and our infrastructure there, helping us spread throughout Asia. But tell us about your role and what you're currently doing at Twinery. It's fantastic to be here. And thank you to you and the team sitting over there. We have Chats, Amrit and Yannick for putting this together and moving the needle on you know, stuff like this, which is important. So I've been, been with MAS for 17 years now. And it's been a, a great experience, a roller coaster. MAS is a company that keeps changing, keeps evolving, keeps pushing the boundary on, on many fronts. And right now I'm with um, Twinery, which is the innovation engine. Uh, I call it a, a collection of startups. And I'm playing the role of um, you know, connecting our, our great technology with our very passionate and, and talented teams in the front end and trying to you know, find routes to take these to consumers. So now we've talked about what you're doing right now, but how did your journey start at MAS? Because you left the beautiful world of commercial stardom. Um, you, know, you had a few commercials under your belt, you were acting, and then you gave it all up and joined the corporate life. What happened, GP? Why? So that was just, you know, being at the right place at the right time. Uh, I used to, I did drama when I was in school. And um, in these drama, it was called the workshop players. And in these drama circles, there were lots of people from the advertising and media industry. So I kind of got roped into doing lots of advertisements. And it was a great experience because you get to meet different people. You get to travel and stay out of Colombo for you know, three or four days. And on top of it, you get paid. You know, it's, it wasn't, it's not much money, but at that time, every thousand rupees counts, right? Um, so when I, when I left uni and I came to Sri Lanka, I didn't know what I was going to do, Tuti. So I was talking to people. Then I joined uh, Elizabeth Moya as a teacher. And within you know, four to six weeks, I think everybody realized that that was a, a disaster, you know, a disaster in the making. So a friend of mine called me up and he said, you know, there's a company called MAS. Um, they work with all these exciting brands. And, you know, they seem to be very progressive. Just come and have a, have a chat with one of the CEOs. And that was it. That was 2003, um, February. And you've been here ever since. Yeah. So you started off as a management trainee. I did. And um, tell us a little bit about your journey at MAS all these 17 years and the different roles you've taken on. Wow, so the so started off as a management trainee in 2003. And that was a, a roller coaster because, you know, you, it's all about, at that time, bras and panties for Victoria's Secret, learning about fabric, learning about design, learning about the manufacturing process. That was really exciting. Then around 2004, I moved into a, a more of a marketing merchandising role because we set up a small division within Intimates where we go out and do our own marketing. 
Um, after that, I joined, I went into corporate where I supported uh, the CEO at the time in corporate strategy. Then in 2012, we decided to set up operations in Indonesia. And I was you know, summoned to be the guy to go across and you know, set things up. And we had a fantastic team. And within a short time, we set up operations in Indonesia in a place called Samarang, which is the, the capital of central Java. It's about an hour from Jakarta and an hour from, from Bali. That was really exciting. And you know, from there I came back and took on this role. So, what was the first job you ever had, ever? First job, I would say, you know, my sister used to DJ in the, in the mid to late 80s. And I must have been about eight or nine at the time. And I, I insisted on you know, going with her to all these parties. Handy. At that time, it was, it was cassettes and vinyl. No CDs at the time. It was like such a cool process, right? You put the cassette in, you listen, you cue it to the right place, then you, you play the songs. And I used to go with her and just be a pain to her. And after about a month, she started giving me things to do. I'd bring that cassette, organize my tapes, carry my bags. And after about three months, she started paying me for it. Then from there, I graduated. I, I was the go-to guy who would take her blank cassettes and take a bus and go all the way to Dehiwala and get uh, the new songs recorded. There was a really eccentric guy living in, in uh, who did the recording at the time and bring it back to her. Then she started paying me for that. So six months down the line, I had like, you know, multiple revenue streams coming in. Nice. So you were hustling at what? Eight? Eight, nine, yeah. That's when the entrepreneurial spirit first struck you. That was, yep. So, but now your role is the head of commercialization at Twinery. So how would you describe what you do for a living on a daily basis? So I'm, I'm the guy who excites people about new stuff. And I'm the connector. I'm the guy who says, you know, guys, shall we take this and show it to Calvin Klein? It might work here. Let's give it a try. Let's make it work. So I'm that guy. All right. So how do you get brands excited about what you're doing and what you're developing? So brands are, now brands have changed quite a bit, right? So they look at companies like MAS. We fall into their tier one or strategic vendor base. So they, we are more partners to them. So they look at us for stuff that goes beyond next season and the season beyond that. They look at us for new stuff, new products, new ideas, new technologies. So we, we not only work with their you know, procurement teams, we work with their marketing teams to build stories around new products. We work with their innovation teams on new technologies. We work with their, you know, their sourcing teams on new business models. So our engagement and relationship goes beyond just, here's your book of orders for the next season. Here's your tech pack. Um, send us the garments by this date. It goes much deeper and wider, Atuti. Okay. Now, Gihan, you mentioned that, you mentioned a lot, actually, the word new in your answer. So we went from being, we are a strategic value-added partner, but they're also looking for us to create new things. Um, how important is newness in fashion and apparel? It's super important, right? Because 
right now if you look at fashion fashion is a huge enabler you know fashion is the is the tool that people use for many things and it means different things to different people um and if you if you take the average american has 10x the number of items in their wardrobe in the last 10 15 years so they're buying more stuff they're using fashion for different things they're using clothing for different things and uh, uh, in order to in order for and the consumers are very 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 sort of demanding because they have so much optionality now and if you don't take newness to them if you're not in their faces with something new if you're not you know showing them new things i think of it like a candy shop your candy shop has to be has to have lots of things in it customer comes in we can give you this for onshoring we can give you this for design we can give you this technology we can give you this you know product we can give you this type of embellishment if you don't have that you're not going to have their you know full attention now earlier in your answer you said fashion is an enabler what does that mean to you like what what is fashion en- enabling people to do so fashion fashion is a is a for me it's a lot about functionality so i'm i'm constantly searching for the most comfortable shirt or the pair of pants i can wear to work and go for crossfit afterwards and it still fits for both those you know scenarios for me it means a lot of that right but for a lot of people it's also a a way to express themselves who am i what makes me tick what makes me move so it's a very it's a very powerful weapon that people use in their lives okay so now that we've talked about fashion and what it means to you and how it enables you let's talk about what you're wearing today gp what have you chosen and why have you chosen to wear what you have worn so today was all about um, being comfortable for this you know 45 minutes to 1 hour and if if you guys have clicked commit to the entire 45 minutes okay to the people watching so today i chose something very comfortable very light and i also know in these sort of studio settings gets a bit cold so this this um, this shirt absorbs body heat and it kind of retains it and i have a super comfortable pair of pants so i could technically go and go to the gym after this or go hiking um and as the head of commercialization you're in charge of bringing this newness to customers so what determines the technologies that we choose to incorporate into apparel and how do we decide what's going into our innovation process that's a great question it's um it's about how we read signals so there are there are strong signals we are reading now we know that people want clothing that is more sustainable which we'll talk about later um there are somewhat weaker signals people want clothing to do much more for them so it's it's logical that clothing will have more electronics integrated into them right and they'll be more intelligent but that that's a harder problem to solve um so we keep our antennas up we read these signals we listen we listen not only to brands we listen to consumers we see what's happening in the fringes or the edges of this space what's happening in the startup world the small brands that are launching something this group of people raised you know 15 million dollars for water free dyeing and then we we pull in all that information and we use that to form our world view on what we think is important 
And then we, we, we don't like to build from scratch. We like to take something at a, you know, at a moderately established level and um, develop it further for our industry, our customers, and our consumers. How important is open innovation to um, Twinery and to the apparel industry in general? Very important. It's very important because you know, the apparel industry is, is way behind in terms of simple things like sustainability. We are still doing things we were doing a thousand years ago. We are still using tons and tons of water to give color to fabric, right? So uh, we know that other industries have moved quite a bit. And it's important that we pick on some of those technologies, bring them into our industry, and tune them so that they are relevant to what we want to do and what we want to solve for. I mean, it's interesting that you brought out that, you know, as an apparel industry, our industry hasn't changed a lot in a, a few hundred years. We're still, a bulk of our clothing and manufacturing is still cut and sew. And so in that sense, um, are we trying to integrate more disruptive technologies into our process to make it more efficient, to be a little bit more eco-conscious, sustainable? Absolutely. If you look at, if you look at clothing, I mean, fashion is, fashion is a great enabler, right? It's a great unlock. But there's the other side, which we all know that fashion is, it has some fundamental problems. We use lots of water. I think industrially, we are the second most polluting industry. Fashion has a massive carbon footprint. So those are problems that we have to solve if fashion is to sort of continue to inspire, uh, engage and you know, motivate people. We have to solve for these things. If you go on the current trajectory, it, um, it's not sustainable. Okay, so fashion needs a disruptive force to come in. It needs a new, needs a technology intervention. It needs an innovation to sort of transform it. Is that where you see fashion going in the next 10 years? It needs multiple disruptions, not only one. So what is the disruptive technology that we should be paying attention to, that everyone in the apparel space should be paying attention to? Water is a big problem in our industry. It's to color what we are wearing now. It uses uh, lots of water. A t-shirt can use up to about five, 10 liters of water to give it color. So I feel you need more people working on how do you give color to something without using water as a, as a medium or as a carrier. That's a big problem that needs solving. There are a few companies working on it. You know, and, and these are well-known companies, but I feel it needs more you know, it needs more VC money. Like, if you look at the money, Tuthi, going into, you know, auto, uh, EVs, into, uh, into battery-powered cars or non-gasoline cars, that's huge. But the question is, why is there not similar attention, similar kind of VC interest into coloration without, without water? Because we know that the clothing industry is a, is a large pollute of of the waterways that are very precious to us, to life. I mean, it is really interesting. You touched upon it that, um, you know, apparel and manufacturing specifically is not getting sort of the visibility and the funding that it might need to sort of evolve and perfect its craft. Um, but it's the only thing that we keep next to our bodies 24 hours a day, if you think about it. We're always touching a fabric. We're always touching a textile. Even right now, what we're sitting on, what we're wearing, what we sleep on at night. 
why do you think why do you think we haven't innovative innovated as much as we can in this space it's happening there's a lot of innovation taking place in the fringes but i feel a lot of that is still at r&d stage and those those guys need more than the money they need the the sponsorship from companies in order to pull that from r&d into the commercial innovation space and i think that's the missing link and as you know people as as society becomes more vocal and more conscious about what they pick off the shelf is it sustainable is it recycled can it biodegrade has it been colored without water and if 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 they are willing to you know uh, pay that sustainability premium i'm not saying it's going to be more expensive but if they have that mindset that will pull the brands and that will push the brands to um, take sustainability more seriously that will push the you know vc firms and the people with the money to start investing in into these companies more aggressively okay now you talked about now consumer consciousness shifting that people are beginning to ask questions at the time of purchase look at the tag read the label but in terms of other things that consumers need and they want um is there anything that we as an apparel manufacturer can work harder to solve in terms of what consumers are asking for yeah so for example now in the world we live in today i think comfort is a is a key thing things have to things on your body have to be comfortable so we are paying a lot of attention to how do you what is comfort you know when you say comfort you immediately run to or oh, the comfortable fabric but comfort is a if, if you slice it further comfort can mean many things depends on where you are what what environment what temperature what mood what activity you want to be doing so we are taking a a first principles approach to comfort and how can we use material how can we use design how can we use technology to make things more comfortable and more versatile is there anything that you and your team are working on in the comfort angle that's yes. commercialized and ready that can be implemented into garments that are on the shelf yes yeah, so for example if you take bras we are working on on bras that don't have a lot of the traditional things in them so replacements for foam replacements for underwires bras that can be easily put on worn on worn all day without you feeling like you're wearing a bra so those technologies we are kind of pushing through um some of our you know technology heavy parts of the business so it's interesting you've touched upon women's underwear has men's underwear received the same level of innovation and attention as the women's underwear market not as much to think so we men's underwear has been seen as a more of a commodity but it's it's just a utility thing but now we are seeing in the in the good in the better and best categories of the product men are much more sort of uh, conscious about you know what they buy what will it do for me how will it help me so so products that don't ride up products that are much more comfortable which have you know three dimensional engineering which fit better so those are hot topics at the moment and we are seeing a lot of uh, brand and consumer pull for some of those products so now you seem very passionate about what you do about the innovation you're bringing to market about being able to bring something new and exciting every time you get to meet a customer and a brand partner. 
Um, so what makes you so passionate about the work that you do? Because it's a, it's a space where, it's a limitless space. But anything is possible. You can, you can make your own rules. Fashion is, a, is like a place where your imagination can run wild. I think that kind of keeps me and lots of the guys at MAS ticking. And, and we have the fuel to be able to do that. At MAS, we have the stack of technologies, the funding, the, the mindset to be able to tinker, experiment, and you know, bring things out to market. We have the ecosystem. I guess that fuels our passion. So talk about this ecosystem that we have at MAS. Um, what does that ecosystem mean to you in terms of being able to offer this newness? So for starters, Tuti, we have, I mean, we are working with more than 150 brands, the best out there, the brands that are elevating performance, the brands that are elevating comfort, and doing you know, lots of things like that. And internally, we have a stack of technologies to, to deform, to mold, to color, to, to bring materials together, to form materials. So, so our, our kitchen is you know, very rich in terms of technologies, uh, customer experience or customer knowledge. And to top it off, to add on to it, we have a, a bunch of very talented people in the product ecosystem, the designers, the technical people, innovation folks, the coloration guys, the material guys. And when you put them together, you always end up with something, you know, wow. That, that keeps the, the engine kind of running, the passion fueled. Um, so you went from building our operations in Indonesia, and then you came to, and then you shifted over to innovation. How did you get your start in innovation? So it was simply a, a conversation with me, Ranil and Sid where they said that they wanted a, a person who, who's like a connector, who has been with MAS, knows the teams, who can you know, talk to the teams about new tech, knows customer, knows operations, knows manufacturing. They wanted a guy. And you were that guy? I was the guy, yeah. Now, I mean, you've been entrepreneuring since you were eight, right? That's when you first started making money, forcing yourself as a assistant, apprentice, yeah. wonderkin to your sister. Um, so what aspects of that kind of entrepreneurship and entrepreneurial spirit have you brought to your role right now? So right now, at Twinery, at MAS, we, we, we sort of approach things with a very open mind, with a high level of curiosity, high sense of imagination. And, you know, we have the freedom to, to do things. We're not, we not afraid that, we're not afraid of failure. I think that, that DNA that I had, because I, I, I lost my dad when I was very young, so I had to figure things out by myself. It was me, my three sisters, and my mom. Because of that, being able to hustle, being able to figure things out by yourself, learn things on the fly, some of those uh, attributes I carried with me right throughout my journey. Keep watching, guys. Don't chicken out. 20 minutes to go. Um, okay, so you've talked about sort of your entrepreneurial spirit and how it's really sort of helped you connect and make the connections and really fuel your passion for creating new things. Um, but is that what's leading, what is fueling your innovation passion? Curiosity. Wanting to, knowing that this fashion is important it's at a tipping point. 
we need to make it more relevant to today's and tomorrow's world? Well, how do you see the apparel industry changing in the next 10 years? In the next 10 years, I feel there'll be a huge um, move to like clothing that does more for you. Right now, it's about keeping you comfortable, keeping you warm, keeping you cool, better fit. I feel those things will get you know, amplified much more as we go on in time. And I also feel like people want convenience and versatility. So those you start seeing those muscles getting developed. So for example, if you're layering up and layering down is a huge problem to me. Let's say I come into this room from a cold environment, I need to layer down. I take two jackets off, right? If I were living in Europe or America. What if there was clothing that had some sort of you know, active polymer, active venting, where when I come in here, it keeps me at a comfortable temperature. But when I walk outside to the cold, it changes its configuration and it keeps me warm. So I don't need to carry four or five things with me. All right. So you think the future would not, it's not smart apparel in the sense that it is, has electronic components or is it just engineered better? It'll be, it's, it's what you said earlier, right? It's, it's this thing occupies our, our bodies 24 hours a day. And right now it's, it's very passive. It's not telling us things. It's not intelligent. I feel the, the, the technologies that, that will really change the game are technologies that, that don't cause any more friction to us. We are taking batteries out, taking things out, and it feels, doesn't feel like this. It still feels like this, but it does much more for us. It monitors our mood. It monitors our you know, vital signs. It, it can keep us hot. It can keep us cold. It can make us, it can be com a compression piece of clothing or a comfortable piece of clothing. I see a world where things, um, will, clothing will play multiple roles. But you see it as a future where everything's a little bit more integrated. Absolutely, yeah. So now that's where you see the future of apparel going in the next 10 years. Um, what do you think about the consumer mindset? Um, are they ready for that? Do you think there is a shift in the momentum out there? I feel uh, the consumers at a macro level, they know what they want. But you need to start giving them these things and making it attractive for them, for them to start you know, buying into some of these things. But even beyond 10 years, I see a world where you, know, you won't go from a natural resource, a pellet, a yarn, shipping that yarn 20,000 kilometers, weaving or knitting a fabric, sending that another 10,000 kilometers somewhere else, uh, making it, cutting it, sewing it into a garment, deforming it, packing it and shipping it. I feel that world will start getting challenged a lot, right? I feel it'll, it, it might be more of like, like the movies where there might be microsystems of printing of clothing. Where you wake up in the morning, your AI assistant has looked at your mood for the last week and tells you these are the three options for clothing for you for this week. And you just log on and you press a button and that thing is printed or assembled for you a couple of meters away or maybe even in your own, on your own system, right? And you, you take that, you put that on and that thing does a lot more for you. It tells you stuff, it's intelligent. So that might be a world 
beyond the next 10, 15, 20 years. So you see it as a disruption to the supply chain. Like we will not, the back end of fashion is quite elaborate. I don't think a lot of people realize, you know, the yarn, the thread, the um, accessories, the, you know, the trimmings are shipped in from very different places and they're put together in a different location and then shipped somewhere else for maybe dying and then shipped again for a final check and then shipped off to the customer. So you're seeing it as a disruption to the way business is done as usual in apparel? You think there's less stages? I feel in the, in the near long term, it won't be a complete disruption of that. But you start seeing ecosystems and capsules that support this new model or this new format of clothing. Because I, I, I feel it, it won't be like an like a equilibrium type world where everybody's just wearing one thing. I feel fashion still will be re relevant. Color will be relevant. A texture will be relevant. Fit will be important. Function, smoothening, contour. All those things are going to be relevant. But I feel you'll start seeing a lot of... Um, not the, maybe not the established guys, but the, the, the startup type guys creating alternate models. And we're already seeing that. A couple of days, we were talking to a company based out of the UK called Unmade. And they're working on small batch manufacturing out of Central Europe, Eastern Europe. And if you want, you can even get it out of Asia. So multiple optionality, right? Okay, to lower the carbon footprint, to make on demand, lower carbon footprint, uh, make only what you want to wear. So to kind of address a lot of those things or problems that the current uh, system has. So now it's interesting you've talked about the level of innovation we do as a apparel manufacturer. So we are a textile and apparel manufacturer. And do you think, what is driving this innovation? Is it our demand to stay current or is it the demand to keep in touch with what the brand is asking for? I feel MAS always takes positions on stuff. I mean, in the early days, we made, we were very clear that we want to make sure that our team members are, are have the best environment, have the best conditions, are taken care of. And that's a call we made in the 80s and the 90s, right? We, and, and we figured out ways to be more productive, uh, get better pricing for our products, push new products to our customers so we earn more, so that we can do this, because we believed in this. We believed that our people had to be taken care of. Um, and I think that philosophy will also extend into this new world of innovation. We will take positions on stuff. We will want to make sure that clothing is more sustainable. We will want to make sure that clothing is more versatile and comfortable. So we'll take positions, plus we'll read from consumers and our brand partners in order to create that you know, perfect marriage. I mean, so we both work for MAS and it sounds like we're more passionate about being the best version of ourselves that we can be and not just staying in touch with consumer needs and demands. Like we want to go above and beyond the current expectation. How do you feel about working for somebody like that for 17 years? Oh, it feels great. It feels great to be able to sit with the customer and a leading customer in the world, pushing the boundaries, a customer very high on purpose, and being able to tell them, you know, guys, we've done this for you. We've used plasma technology to make this garment water repellent. It's completely water free. You know, it's a dry process. You only, you only treat what you want to. There's no waste. 
And it, it's great to see them go wow and challenge us and tell us that, you know, it should be this way, change this, it's not durable enough, it's, uh, it needs to be more repellent for us to buy into it. It's like we are chipping at it continuously, right, with, with this new stuff that we're doing. And that's, that's like super exciting and super motivational. So in terms of your role as the head of um, commercialization, how long does it take to take something from an innovative idea to a commercialized technology that's ready to sell to a brand? So it, it depends on certain things are at a higher readiness level. They're more ready to go into product. So our objective is to, to get, get it into a product fast and show it to the customer, get consumer feedback, build credibility, so that we iterate more with the customer. We are in bed with the customer soon. But it can take anything between, we are working on some, some engineered knit products for lingerie, and we are into our seventh month, and we are already in bed with the customer. But some things which are more new and more disruptive, it takes us about 18 to 24 months to start having those conversations. I know the technology that you referred to earlier, plasma, that took us a, a quite a number of years to develop a water-free water repellency process. Yeah. And we're still continuing to um, expand upon its capabilities and fine tune it, but that took us six years? About five, yeah, five years. Five years in development to be able to offer this at a commercial ready level. Um, so that would be sort of a more disruptive technology that we think water-free water repellency is the way to go. And this is our commitment to using less water, having no waste water. But then to be that disruptive, we need more customers, we need more brands and consumers to want and demand that kind of a product. Where do you think the power lies? Is it with the brand or is it with the consumer? It's a lot to do with timing as well. So that's a technology we betted on. We placed the bet on the technology and we were chipping at it, but we realized that the established, you know, wet process chemistry driven stuff is, is very strong. You know, but we knew that there was something here and now we feel that we are ready, but not to take 100,000 garments in offshore location and treat it using plasma. Our play will more be towards a reuse clothing world. You see a lot of you know startup funding going into companies that um, are repurposing clothes. So plasma can be used onshore, close to consumer, in that world. Number one. Then we see a lot of sort of noise around. Bring your jacket back in. We can repair it. We can top it up with whatever you want. So we feel plasma can play a role there. Our plasma technology that you're referring to is called Dry Vantage, and it has the ability to sort of help um, clothes last 25 wash cycles more. Yeah. So the clothing that you have, you can wear for longer. Yes. How long do you think it would be before uplast become like dry vantage and getting clothes to last longer becomes the norm? So I, I think there'll be a lot of um, like consumer pull towards more than lasting longer you can wear it multiple times. So you don't launder, you don't, you know, wash it at 40 degrees, 50 degrees. So that's a lot, that's a lot to do with how it manages, you know, perspiration, 
how it deals with stains and the general wear and tear of it, right? Uh, right now, we are, we are fighting with the world of wet chemistries, which do similar things. So the, the, the unique thing about our, our technology is that it's, it's dry and it can be done on show, which is where we are seeing that emerging world of you know, top up your water repellency. A reuse clothing market, this can be a, a vehicle to, to uh, treat those with different things and enhance properties of those things like color fastness, longevity, make it look and feel newer. So we are pointing the, the artillery towards that because we feel this world is still, um, I mean, the, the, the value propositions in this world are still quite, quite strong. So you think they will value the fact that we are a little bit more eco-conscious and we're developing more environmentally friendly alternatives. Um, you talked about comfort. What about fit? How do you see fit moving? How do you see fit in apparel where it is now and in 10 years from now? So let's talk about a sports bra in athleisure product and in, even in a normal bra, right? So um, I feel like in the future, as, as we keep going on, things that make fit adaptive based on your mood, on the time of day, on the activity that you're going to get, going to do, that whole concept of fit can be a, a fluid thing. It can fit one thing in the morning, it can fit another way when you're out you know, at, at gym or yoga or CrossFit. So would this be a, um, an innovation that would happen as sort of at a textile level or would it be smart? Will there be sensors integrated to make this possible? This um, adaptive fit. Adaptive fit. So it will be a combination of things. The material, the sensing, the construction and the technology. How far away do you think we are from a product like that? I don't know. Um, well, since fit is so important to MAS, having been in the business uh, for over 30 years, um, what things do we do internally to ensure fit without restrictive movement and without feeling like it's really compromising your feeling? So we, we try to understand the consumer, the person who's wearing the clothes, right? We use that first principles approach of understanding the human body, understanding the human mood, I mean, we, we, we have biomechanics people working on that stuff. And then using those signals, we use the stack of tools that we have at our disposal, which is the yarn, the material, the way you assemble it, the way you mold it, and the way it's technically sort of designed. We use all those features to solve for that person's uh, need. And now you talked about many steps of that process. But with MAS's uh, vertical integration, that's truly something we can do in a day, right? We can test, we can mold. Definitely, yeah. So we have, the, we have the ecosystem and we have the stack of technologies to be able to do it faster. So for example, if, if cut and sew isn't working, we can go across the silhouette and talk about bonding or extrusion. At the same time, we can have a conversation with our flat knit guys. Can we use flat knit? technology to give, you know, variable compression, variable stretch and modulus along a panel. So we, we have a lot of options in that way. So that's the benefit of MAS and our one MAS ecosystem and platform that we are able to prototype, construct, test, innovate, re-engineer. We can bring in multiple teams across many different um, expertise levels. Yep. 
to really enhance any kind of offering that we are able to provide. So we can bring multiple, multiple points of view to, a, to solving a problem. The kitchen is sort of very rich with different ingredients and, and lots of things are cooking. Do you have an example of sort of an innovative solution that we were able to provide? So right now around, uh, we, were, we are working with a customer, I can't talk about it too much. We are working with a customer who, whose current product is, is ending its you know, shelf life. And that customer is going to the known, the logical known things as the next version. But we are able to bring our flat knit capability, our knowledge on yarns, our knowledge on construction and finishing in that space in order to sort of elevate that product 5x compared to, to what it is today. Okay, GP, now to the serious questions. So we've been doing this interview now for over 30 minutes. How is the functionality of your shirt held up? I feel good, Tuti. It feels light. I can do you know, 50 burpees here. I'll be comfortable. I don't need to wear a belt. It's a plus point. But you know, outside it was about, let's say, 37 degrees. When I came inside, it must have been early 20s. Okay. And now during the course of the interview, we are probably at 40 now with all the lights around us. So I feel, I feel, I feel warm now. It's starting, starting to weigh me down. And I just hope that this shirt was able to sort of read that scenario, read that sentiment, and do something to, to get me back to that you know, 27 temperature. So from a comfort and lightness point of view, it's, it's ticking some boxes from a thermal well-being, completely charged up, you know, caffeine high kind of point of view. This can do much more for me. So there's, I'm optimistic because there's, there's so much room for innovation in that space. So as a fashion conscious male dresser, where do you personally, Gihan, see the future of fashion for men going? I think more functional much more function, much more versatile, much more comfortable stuff. What piece of fashion would you like to bring back, like ensure stays in the next five years? Next big thing is the corporate hoodie. Personal problem for me, because when I pop out of the office to grab a coffee, it's, it's a big problem not having, not having hair to shield me from the heat. So corporate hoodie, tell us about this vision. Corporate hoodie that kind of encapsulates you, you wear it, it's light, it's comfortable, it reads your emotions, it keeps you warm when you need to be warm, keeps you cool when you need to be cool, like, a, like that go-to place of comfort. So is it Bring like back the corporate hoodie. Corporate hoodie. So is it a blazer hoodie combo or is it full-on hoodie as we know it now? It, it can, it, why it, it should adapt. You can have things you can just kind of latch on to it, take it off, work setting, pub crawl setting, workout setting. The corporate hoodie. The corporate hoodie does it all. Yep. Okay. The future of sustainability. Where do you see that going and how, yeah. That's a big one. That's a big one and that's one of the, it's a buzzword at the moment, but the good thing is it's, it's more relevant today because I feel people are more, they appreciate honesty, they appreciate authenticity, and they appreciate, you know, brands with, with a purpose. And that's why you're seeing some of the bigger brands getting disrupted by the smaller ones, right? Who have, who are authentic, who are purpose-driven, who are inclusive. And I feel, you know, sustainability of five years ago, 10 years ago, and today is something different. 
um, we need to move from that, that linear chain that we talked about to a reuse, reduce, recycle model. You know, and, and, and we can take examples from, from the food industry. You know, there, are, there are people like the likes of Bill Gates working on replacements for meat. But you know, the, the, the thing is, the person eating that meat-free burger has to feel, smell, taste the same thing that he or she is used to. So there's no compromise there because people are, we are, we are tough, right? They're very particular about you know, those things. They're brutal. Um, so I think that's the challenge to the, to the companies like Impossible Foods that are working on meat-free alternatives. Then you go a step further because you challenge them and say, hey, you're, you're going to disrupt the agriculture ecosystem with this. Then you have that next edge of people working on uh, algae-based meat alternatives, pushing the boundary further. You know, beyond that, you have that seed-level startup working on something totally crazy. So I think, I think we need those layers of ready now, ready in three years, ready in five, ready in seven, ready in 10 to 15. We need an ecosystem of all those players lined up, properly invested into getting the mind time, getting the, the, the commercial hooks to test things in market. We need much more of that. What do you feel is the biggest drawback to sustainability from an from a end customer point of view? Because right now we've spoiled the customer. The customer is used to a lot of things, you know, color that doesn't run for 50 washers. The customer is spoiled for choice. And the customer doesn't want to budge from that, from that vantage point. And that's a challenge to us. I mean, that was the same challenge to the electric car. Just because it was electric, the customer won't compromise on how it looks, how it feels, the range. You know, let's say you walk into a, into a car dealership, you have a $35,000 Camry on your right side, and you have a $100,000 Tesla on your left, but it has half the range. It doesn't look as great. It's not as durable. I mean, nine times out of 10, you're gonna choose the Camry, right? But what if this ticked all those boxes? It was faster, better, better range, cost $37,000, then we are going to pick that. So it's the same sort of mindset. The challenge to us, the challenge to the brands, the challenge to the tech is to, to accelerate and give people something more compelling, which is also sustainable. What does an inclusive workplace look and feel like to you? Your ideas matter. What you bring onto the table, it doesn't matter what, what religion, what background, you know, what color you are. You're, you're valued based on your contribution, your ideas, your energy, your passion, your imagination. But those are the only things that matter. Okay, so as somebody who gets to hire and staff, how do you think you can bring that sort of level of inclusivity to your team? So we, we hired people with very different backgrounds. Chemistry, materials, business, physics. And then you, you get them in and you, you talk about the purpose and the cause. You keep motivating them and you give them the tools so that they can keep you know, shining. And you let them learn, you let them fail, important. And you just keep, that, that engine just keeps running and running and running and it keeps building momentum. You don't box them into a, a place and keep them there. 
Um, are you currently a mentor to anybody within your team or within MAS as a whole organization? How is that mentor-mentee relationship? I hope it's good. Um, but what I'm trying to do is get the people I'm sort of mentoring, thinking beyond, identifying what they're great at, you know, some things they need to build, and also using my network within MAS to, to open those doors so they can talk to the, the right people and build those muscles that they feel are important to them in order to keep moving forward. Do you think you've had a strong mentor at MAS in their 17 years here with the company? Oh, absolutely, Duthi. So first, I think one of my things is everybody is a mentor for me. I, I try to learn and pick up things from, from everybody around me. It may be the most trivial thing of how a person sits, how a person greets you, how a person stands up, to ideas a person has on, on a particular thing, right? Or how, how a person handles situations. So when the world is your university, then you're just, you're just continuously pulling stuff. And that, that's been my philosophy from a very young age. So you talked about how inclusivity means that you're, you are recognized purely for your ideas and what you can bring to the table in terms of performance and work. Yeah. How do you ensure that everyone on your team, or right now you have a smaller team, but before you were, when you were in Indonesia, it was a larger team. Mm -hmm. How do you ensure that everyone has the opportunity to present their idea or their suggestion? You get them to participate. If you participate and you don't ask, you don't give your ideas, you're the last to speak. As the leadership, you speak last. Everybody has to contribute. There's no right, there's no wrong. All ideas, all viewpoints are on the table. The moment you start having that culture at, at, at meetings and at forums, then you know it, it starts, once you start doing that, it becomes the it becomes the culture and the norm. So now I know why you wait to speak till the very end. And we don't know what you're thinking the entire meeting. Yep. Now you know. Uh, well, thank you so much for your time today, GP. Really appreciate all the effort and time and your wardrobe styling that you've brought to the table today. Thank you very much, Suthi. It is great talking to you. And thank you to the team for putting this together. Thank you for listening to this episode of Thread Talks by Twinery. Tune in next week for another deep dive into the apparel and innovation market. Don't forget to watch the video version at Twinery MAS on YouTube.